The Accutron Show. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors, Scott Alexander and David Graver. Some of them are super strong and say, you know what, we are millennials and we were born in a place where we felt a lot more equality than our parents. And so this is what we are representing. And so it's a combination of things that have to gel together for me to take a chance. The voice you heard at the top of the show was today's guest, award-winning New York-based contemporary art advisor, author, and curator, Maria Brito. But first up, the artless Bill McCuddy, along with culture writer Scott Alexander and editor David Graver. We're discussing the world of art in America. What is art? I'm not sure. Maybe they'll tell me. All that and more on this episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. Scott, what is art to you? Art is what you say it is. I, I, I sincerely subscribe to the Andy Warhol school uh, that says, yeah, because an artist says it's art and that anybody can be an artist. The art, the Andy Warhol factory. And That's I wonder right. if we really consider him an artist. And we're going to talk about this with our guest today. Well, because he, he, he was manufactured a things. Right, but he he also democratized art in a really important way and in a beautiful way, I think. And most artists today do exactly the same. He didn't just create a factory. He created an ideology that allowed other people to have their art manufactured for them. So, David, what is art to you? Art is expression, and unfortunately, art is also commodity. Yeah, that's the thing. It is a weird tension. Uh, and the, the madness that's been in the art world, uh, it reminds me of the stock market uh, of anything. I mean, lately, the stock market's been going up and down, totally independent of anything going on with any company. <laughs> Reality. Uh, but yeah. the same thing seems to happen sometimes in the art world. Sometimes you see great artists do really well, and then you often see great artists not find an audience. This has also been a groundbreaking period of time, this whole year of 2020. Jeff Koons just set a record um, during Art Basel Online. Yeah, that's where he crazy. sold a sculpture for eight million dollars. So the it, hunger is there. They just seven don't want people. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't want to physically go. Yeah, like the producers, like they just didn't physically want to go to Art Basel, but they were willing to spend the money. I so mean, it was, the, it was canceled. All iterations, yeah, all fairs right. have been canceled since um, after Armory Week. A really important thing that's happening right now, actually, is museums are having the ability to collect protest art in real time actually a lot sometimes of, on the outside walls of their building a lot of a lot of art has like we're calling it isolation creation and there's a wonderful hashtag on Instagram that you can find more than 350,000 works tagged from famous artists and lay people like us but all of the protest art is being sought out by the Smithsonian Museums in DC and they're actually like collecting and preserving as the the works are made and used that's amazing well, and we are no question in one of the most politically divided times in this country's history. Does great art come out of political? Historically, yes. I mean, divide. Yeah. yeah? Look, Mostly. look at the traumatic moments of European history, and then look at look at the times of the art, art artistic movements that came out of them. I mean, Picasso's Guernica is. A, you know, a prime example. I'm sure our guest can shed more light on this too. And uh, she's an immigrant herself. So her story about uh, immigrants coming to this country and lending to the American art scene is something I'm curious about. I also want to know about uh, whether the number of galleries and museums is going to go up or down in the future. I mean, more and more people seem to be getting everything online. Uh, you mentioned that people were spending millions, millions. and millions of dollars uh, well, they're spending it online so they can have the piece in person. 
Yeah. And right? I don't know that people are spe- – there are there is a strange kind of digital artifact that's being sold. Are you guys familiar with uh, these crypto kitties? Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, these things that are being traded, they're digital items that are cryptographically unique that are traded on an exchange for you know, Bitcoin-like uh, the currencies. Uh, there's a whole world of value being created around these sort of digitally generated art um, but that's sort of really the brave new world. I'm not sure that'll uh, we got hold Banksy. Its value. We got Banksy with rats uh, and masks. Right there's on your him. there's uh, your COVID art. Right at there. the other end, we got Steve Wynn in Las Vegas, who has his own private collection that he lets some people walk in and see. What do you bet there are people in this country that still have their own? Col- they're making their they're right now at home. They're building their own little museum. And they're not going to let anybody come in. A few months ago, actually, I was in um, Palm Beach with a, a collector, and she has she has built a museum in her Palm Beach home, um, which is all temperature controlled. It's incredibly secure. And, but she's also a collector of like the huge, you know, the usual contemporary art like Cause, Jeff Koons, these blue chip pieces that people are just like pushing. Kind of to move money. And I what, don't want to <laughs> <laughs> spend money. <laughs> I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> Big brokers like Larry Gagosian here in uh, New York are those the guys, the gatekeepers that will always be doing it. And if these, if this trend, if what we just talked about is beginning to happen in terms of everybody building their own museums, what does that mean for the rest of us seeing great art? If, if museums close and everything is just online. Well, this is what makes me happy to see someone like Maria, an immigrant, come to this country. You know, after after just 12 years in the game in New York, she's come in and shown that her eye, her sensibility, everything else can have a huge impact and huge value. So that I think that says the hegemony of kind of the old white men hopefully is starting to kind of draw down. I'm also curious about the diversity in galleries, both by the gallery ownership, but also by the artists and whether or not we're seeing more and more diversity there it's galleries have very recently begun to diversify their rosters and the promise is there um big ones like hauser and worth one of the largest in the united states one of the largest in the whole world actually just brought on three um black artists which was a a very powerful move from an institution like that but i'd be willing to bet the galleries are still owned by yeah A bunch of the institution remains the the institution. I mean, I guess that's to be expected. Maybe that's changing. Over time, it will change. And it's, it's, we're seeing the beginnings of it now. But I mean, there's always been a lot of black artists. Now you see galleries and museums with the courage to actually display them. I'm starting to draw issue with Warhol and Basquiat and even an artist that I love, Frida Kahlo. And it's not the artist's fault in any of these instances, it's definitely a curatorial problem. I feel like museums lack creativity. And we had a year where everything was Warhol everywhere. And then we had a year where everything was Basquiat everywhere. And then we had a year where they But did you see that Basquiat show? We need a woman artist. And so... That Basquiat show in the East Village... Was phenomenal at the Brandt Foundation. But before that, I saw some of his works at the Whitney. And before that, I saw them at the Basquiat Museum. People over-index on the famous, right? That's the easy thing to do. Say the Academy has decided this person is of value and they get fearful, right? There's a timidity, especially at the museum level. You certainly see that. The galleries are where you see a lot more sort of risks being taken. We will get to the art side, the business side, and uh, everything in between. Maria Brito will join us in just a moment here on the Accutron Show. The world runs on Accutron time. Accutron watches since 1960 from New York City to around the world.
Today we're talking about the evolution of art in America. Joining us is Maria Brito. Maria, welcome to the Accutron Show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. Oh, Thank well, you for having me. Well, good. We're we're happy to you're here, and and we've been discussing at length uh, the state of art, uh, state of the art in in America. What excites you when you see uh, a piece of art? I am a person who feels very moved by the conversation and when something has beauty and aesthetics and also a deeper meaning and a concept, it really gets to me. And that's what I have tried to convey to my clients and also to my audience. And I feel very passionate about the idea that art can be an entry point for education and for very challenging conversations without having to get to a contentious point. Or at least it used to be like that. And um, I I particularly am someone who is more attracted to figuration than uh, gravitating towards abstract. And that doesn't mean that I don't value them both. And I have a wide array of clients who love abstract and I'm okay with presenting and helping. And I the same thing if I run into a fabulous piece of abstract, I may even want it for myself. But I connect with the humanity of figuration and I feel that's important for us because what's the, I think the only thing that's left in the world is like human beings and their souls. And feels that, that way. And it's and it really is a way that I either uh, you know, relate directly or empathize. So empathy, I think, is one of the most important things that I have learned through art. And that ranges from learning about race, about history in America, about gender, and uh, because the the spectrum of gender is huge nowadays. And I have become even more empathetic in the past 12 years, which is how old my company is, because I have gotten a lot of education through art. And uh, I think that when you acknowledge that you don't know everything, it's like you open up boxes of, you know, <laughs> presence all the time where you are willing to learn. And and I have been very fortunate to have so many artist friends teaching me about a variety of things that it's not me, right? Like, so, <laughs> Well, it's the whole world is, is going through these things. When you see these movements come across the world in terms of art, often they are responses to changes, to crises, to tragedy. Uh, is that something you're seeing reflected uh, still? Definitely. And I think that artists, artists don't lie, right? Like that's the thing. They, because each, art, each good artist artists who are not gimmicks or just like trying to exploit a system, right? Each artist, and this is a quote that I'm going to borrow from Jackson Pollock, the best artists paint who they are or what they are, Mm -hmm. right? And so when you're an African-American, you paint your story. And it could be abstract like Sam Gilliam does, or it could be a figuration the way that Micheline Thomas does. It doesn't really matter, but they paint their own story. And when you are gay or trans, that's what you do, right? And so we have gone through so much 
recently, but also in the past hundred years, right? Like how the world and society has changed and adapted and evolved to the extremely conservative a hundred years ago where it was really unthinkable to come out and say I'm gay um, to the point where, you know, we are full on gay rights, you know, uh, Supreme Court decisions that uphold that type of marriages and benefits and so on and so forth. And so when we see the art that is being produced by people who actually are affiliated personally with that is because they are telling us the truth of their story. And that's not new. Is there a strange value to, uh, this is going to sound strange or or perverse, but that artists paint who they are when who they are is suppressed by society, you get a certain version of who they are. And now they're not being as oppressed by society. There's less of a um, limiter being put on that. It's, le- it's much more accepted to be wh- whoever you truly are. The art world itself does suppress. And I think there are so so few vehicles to show new voices that I'm reading Boom right now, which talks about the emergence of Pace Gallery and David Zwerner and the control Gagosian has demonstrated on the voices that we're hearing. So even though art from new voices is being made, it's it's not really having a place to be shown. Mm, yes and no. I think that to your point, when the conditions around are hard and, you know, the only way that people may potentially show it is through art, right? But it's art in a wider sense. There's literature, you know, and if we go back in history, there are plays and there is literature and there is music and things like that, right? Like, so the first political artwork that ever happened in the world happened during the French Revolution. And it was Jean-Jacques David when he painted the death of Marat. And they were people who basically were against the monarchy. And it was an unthinkable thing to think that a guy who had gotten to the Royal Academy of French Art that was completely funded by the the royals had shifted completely because he freaking hated. You know, he (laughs) hated Marie Antoinette. He hated, you know, he was like best friends. Someone who comes up in the establishment to be anti-establishment. Totally. But you know what? It was like he was born in, in a good position. He wanted to be an artist with all his might, right? And he was taught to paint the way that the monarchs liked it and with the subject matters that the monarchs liked it. And as he got older, he was like, what am I doing? I really like Robespierre. I really like Marat. I really like what these guys are talking about. I believe in our Republic. I like Napoleon, even though, you know, it sounds so crazy. This is what, this was his alternative, right? So this is not new in the sense that political art and activism, because that's, you know, he painted Marat and he made prints of it and he distributed them everywhere because he's like, look what happens. You see, this is what happens when you go against the monarchy. You know, people get killed. We, you know, and so he was also such an advocate of the freedom of speech and the press because Marat was a uh, journalist. And so, you know, um, David basically says, look, this is what happens, right? And so fast forward 300 years later, artists are tackling all sorts of subjects. And, you know, 
Some go with politics, some go with race, some go with gender, some, you know, like tackle income inequality. Some are, you know, very passionate about everything that has to do with human rights from a lot of different perspectives, but it touches them directly. I do want to go back to that because art is a commodity to so many people as well. And I feel like that has a death grip on on the creativity from time to time. That's true. And, um, but I have to, I didn't get to your point. I have to agree and disagree with a couple of things. Um, so we are having right now a a clear statement from African-Americans. It's an outcry for everyone to finally sort of learn who built the country and labor and how that happened. Right. Because there are, in my, look, I'm a foreigner, but I'm an American, meaning I'm an immigrant, but I am an American citizen. I've been here 20 years. My children are American. Absolutely every little thing I have, I got it here. And the big ones too. And I have a lot. And I have to be very grateful for that. No, seriously. But I have it way easier than right. African-Americans, okay? And I wasn't born here. And I find that gross. And the... The learning, my learning curve with with the slavery and African-Americans has been quite interesting and it has deepened a lot in the past 10 years. Why? Because I myself have always been interested in black artists since I opened this business. And so I was after them, not only for my clients, but for myself to the extent I could afford them. So I learned their take and I was always like, I tell me more. I want to know more. I don't understand because my great-grandfather wasn't killed in Alabama and my, you know, my father wasn't persecuted and robbed out of his land. I don't, that's something that it's, this is where you come with your empathy, but you're not them, right? And so the, the moment we're having right now is very interesting because in the past five years, and I, I probably think in the past four, because it has a lot to do with the elections, a lot of collectors and a lot of galleries have started paying more attention to black artists because they saw the importance, because like people were not happy with the results of the elections, and people started thinking about, well, you know, we do have to pay more attention to opposing views, right? And we start to, you know, pay attention to them, which is kind of funny because I do know of all sorts of other people who had been backing up and supporting this black artist, right? And so suddenly we have all these big galleries wanting to have them. Hauser and & Worth just brought in Amy Sherald and Simone Lee to their roster. All the major galleries are promising diversification of I their know, rosters. I know, but this is new. You know what I mean? Like, look, I respect big galleries. It's an incredibly expensive and difficult business with a huge overhead. But I'm like, you just know that, that these people exist? I mean, like, mm, really? Yeah, well, where have you been the last four decades? Hey, Maria, in terms of gallery ownership and the gatekeepers, is there more inclusion there, or is it still a bunch of old white guys? Um. Well, unfortunately, still is very not diverse, but there are a group of female black owners Um 
that are working really hard to change that. A couple of them are in Chicago. A couple of them are by coastal and they have outposts in New York and in San Francisco. And so we, it's funny because I don't know many black male owners. I do know female black owners. And so that calls my attention in the sense that I'm like, are these women more risk takers? Is, is it easier or softer for them in a sense? I'm not sure why I don't know more black male owners. And so um, I know maybe a couple or maybe a handful of Latino owners, but for the most part is, um, is, is white men and women too. You know, I mean, there are great women uh, who have been pioneering many movements for many, many years and who deserve everything because honestly, they work tirelessly, even though some of them are pushing 80, you know? Let's take one step back because this show is about America and about its contribution to the world, specifically in technology, but we love to talk about art. From a world perspective, how are American artists viewed in the... Well, this thing is... Are we doing it well? Are we... No, we're doing really well because ever since the... Since World War II, when the shift happened between the, you know, everything was happening in Paris and they all moved here. They moved, I mean, some of the most prominent artists, the Surrealists, the Dada, you know, they all came to New York to, because Europe was completely devastated and they needed something else, right? And so they moved to learn and to mingle and to hang out and, you know, America, new, fun, I mean, like a different territory. So when that happened, what that created was abstract expressionism in New York, particularly with Jackson Pollock and Lee Krasner and, uh, you know, Roscoe and de Kooning. And so that was a shift that was incredible for the world, not only because this new people had a completely different take on art. It was abstract. It was visceral. It wasn't cerebral. It wasn't about beautiful composition. It wasn't the cubist. It wasn't the impressionist. So when that happened, that changed everything. And so New York has still retained the center of the art world for the past, you know, I mean, 70 years. We're talking about, right? And uh, the thing that New York has, and, you know, I'd like to include the states in general, but honestly, things still happen in New York, even though L.A. has had a renaissance in art and whatnot. And And Miami has a Well, Miami has our Basel, but that's like, you know, we go there, right? Like, (laughs) we don't... It's a takeover. We don't happen to, like, you know, have a lot of art community there yet. We have great museums. The Southwest has an active art scene. And we have a couple of great galleries, but the things still happen in New York, right? And so what New York has is the collectors, the museums, the curators, the support, the love, the this. You know, so you need an entire... The money. You need an entire... And also, look, I have collectors, clients from all over the world. The best ones are the New Yorkers. They don't ask too many questions. They, um, you know, they take decisions really fast. Like, it's just like, look, I love it or I don't. 
And so when you have that type of collector, it's a pleasure to work with them. I mean, I don't mind, you know, whining and dining them. That's not the point. The thing is that people here are willing to take risks, are willing to understand what they don't know, and they are willing to put their money to back things up, right? And it's a pleasure for them to do it, whatever is the reason. And it honestly never bothers you when you don't like the art? When they pick something that you go, oh, geez, I wouldn't have done that. I, I do voice my opinion, but it's their money. Right. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's I'm their really money. curious how you know when to take a risk on an emerging artist. Is there, is there a visceral or a gut it's reaction? It's very intuitive. But I have, I have studied intuition myself a lot because I want to be better at it. And intuition usually is accompanied by experience. So after I myself have collected art for 20 years and 12 years running the, the business and having seen more than 3,000 art shows in my life and visited I've worked directly with more than 500 artists. At this point, I sort of know, and I'm not, you know, I mean, it's not that I am infallible, but like I know when to take a risk and it usually pays off. And so it's a combination of aesthetics, the moment, right? Like, I mean, all these black artists that I was already loving 10 years ago before they got their boom, I was feeling that it was, that they were the most alive and the ones who were telling the story I care the most. And that's important. And, you know, like lately I have been also very much backing up female artists who are who have something to say, whether it's body image or whether it's like separation of, you know, female and male in society. Or some of them are super strong and say, you know what, we are millennials and we were born in a place where we felt a lot more equality than our parents. And so this is what we are representing. And so it's a combination of things that have to gel together for me to take a chance. And also... When it's funny because I take chances way before my clients do, right? And so when I take a chance and I spend $5,000, I feel okay. And then I tell them and they are like, hmm, hmm, hmm. And when they definitely say, oh, you were so right. And how much is not? And I said 100,000, they don't like that anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You needed to have the courage of your convictions five years ago when it was a $5,000 uh, piece but of work. But some of them are very good to me in the sense that they say, well, you have a track record and I have it on my walls. So I'm going to give you some leeway here. And, right. you know, even though I'm not 100% convinced, I think it may grow on me. So I love those clients. And they are the ones who have been with me the longest. You mentioned the art world is still here, the dealers, the galleries, Mm -hmm. the museums. Um, Is is the artist world still here? Has the internet done anything to sort of flatten the world and flatten the geography of where artists are working? A lot of artists uh, also in the past five years have moved to Los Angeles. And I just said that that's one of the reasons why LA has had a renaissance. Because they get more square footage and they get a nicer life, right? Like they get to breathe air and they can do things and whatnot. They have air in Los Angeles? (laughs) (laughs) It's polluted, but it's still breathable. I think that uh, we have lost a lot of artists to LA because it's it's a nice, very nice place. Um, And also- For about a week. Well, not really. <laughs> Come on. It's nice Get weather. Get four New Yorkers in a room and eventually it'll turn to trashing LA. It's nice weather year-round. Which yeah, got- it is real nice. You get out there, you're like, it does always look this, really? You know, it's, it's, got, it's gotten very fun in the past five years. Lots of fun restaurants and galleries and restaurants. But anyway, what I was saying is that also a combination of 
less expenses and, uh, you know, better rents and or maybe the, the possibility of buying a building for, you know, housing and a studio and things like that. We have lost a lot of our great artists to Los Angeles. But to tell you the truth, yes, the Internet and Instagram and all that has helped. And you can have a phenomenal artist in Seattle or anywhere in Philly or whatever. And then, you know, they just have to show through a gallery in New York. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Right, that's the thing. I'm, I'm waiting for like the Kansas, the Cleveland, the, you know, all these these really remote places where you can get a lot of space. Hey, you want to have a 3,000 square foot gallery or, or, or studio? LA you know, is never going to mean Louisiana. It's always yeah. <laughs> Clearly 2020 has been a big year with its impact on the art world, of course, on the whole world, but art in particular, from isolation, creation, hashtags, to museums moving their collections online for people to have access. What do you think will be the future moving forward for the art world? I think a lot of things will start growing more online, including the art fairs, sales. I think that old school dealers, and I'm not talking about the big galleries because the big galleries are always very willing to do the new thing because they don't want to miss out. But every gallery that operates as a real business has realized that they can do a lot of businesses online and that they can sell a lot of things and, and, you know, through these art fairs or directly from the website. And that also has opened up new ideas for them. Let's make prints or let's make objects, things that they never thought that they had an opportunity to sell because, you know, their main concern obviously is to you know, work with the artists and sell the big paintings and the big sculptures. But now they are seeing that there is another market, particularly the millennials, right? And so they don't really want to be going anywhere. It's just, oh, yeah, I really want this. You know, it's so, I'm so happy that you have it in like this, you know, viewing room in this art fair of Palm Beach or whatever, you know? And so I think that moving forward, we will have a lot of online activity the the in-person or physical, I don't think it can ever be replicated. And so we're going to have to figure out how to do, and I think that the museums obviously are moving in the direction of having ticket sales that are slotted times. And so, you know, they don't have a humongous amount of people at any given time. And the galleries that are reopening and that have already reopened in New York are having a, are having appointments and you can do the things online and show up at certain times and whatnot. Galleries, unless it's a big opening, are never really full anyway. So I don't think that they are... It's not that they will see such a decrease in food traffic. It's more how they are going to keep selling. And so I think that that's... That's kind of the future of the art world, and it's a little overwhelming because I don't want to receive every day 50,000 emails of, like, go into my viewing room, right? Like, <laughs> And, like, it's the, it's the art fair and it's the gallery, but, you know, so be it. If I have to do it in this way forever, not forever, but for the foreseeable future, then, you know, I know that I have to be adaptable to that idea. In the past, uh, we've had... There's been pandemics in the past. There's been wars in the past. And these have been some of the things people point to as these giant movers of art in terms of subject matter, in terms of people's mental you know, awareness and, and where they are, where artists and the things they create. Do you have any – should we be primed for sort of an art explosion in the next five years due to these, these troubled times? I absolutely believe so. And I – 
history has proven that when horrible things happen, creativity also has, a, you know, it flourishes because people have more time to think. And when you're on all the time, especially the way we live, we are connected to a bunch of devices that are very new for all of us who, you know, my, my kids were born with an iPad, right? Like not me. And so the thing is, we have a, a love-hate relationship with technology, but our brains are so wired all the time in a way that we older people have had to make such a leap. And when you separate yourself from that, and I'm talking about us and the artists who are my age and older and whatnot, when you separate yourself from that and give your brain rest, it's full of valuable ideas because that's what creativity is. It's not used for things that are dumb or repetitive. It's like when you're really innovative and creative is when you can come up with things that are of value. So it's not only something that pertains to the art, but it goes everywhere. It goes also in technology or in physics or in fashion. And so we will see a lot of new developments in many different areas, including the arts. And, uh, you know, more people will become artists, younger people and things like that, because the this is the time where people can go inward. And that's where art comes from. People can finally get bored. <laughs> Seriously, like, I, like boredom is a really critical piece of creativity. It, is. it actually and, is. And we are, the devices, exactly what you were saying, They were, one of the weird side effects was we are never bored anymore. You're in the bank line. You don't get bored because you got your phone in your pocket. And suddenly, in the last six months, for the first time in 10 years, I've heard a lot of people say, I'm bored. And, and I kind of feel like it might be good. The isolation, right? Like if you're not first, like now people are hanging out again, but like for so long, whoever lived alone probably didn't have a lot of interactions and families were together. So, you know, you opened up your mind and your brain to have room and capacity to entertain new ideas and new ways of doing things. So I'm 100% believing that we will see an explosion of beauty and value and creativity and new ways of doing things. And again, it's not going to be just of the arts, although I'm excited to see it there. We're going to see it in many, many different industries. And you will bring them to us. Maria Brito has an eye for art. And if you don't, you need her. Uh, give us a, a, tell us where we can find you on the web. What's your website? Uh, it's mariabrita.com. And uh, that's it. I mean, and you can find me on Instagram too. And uh, thank you guys. On behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and Bon Vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for the Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building, until next time, Accutron time. Set your tuning forks. 